right, church, it has been an incredible journey this summer learning who God has made us to be as the church in this world. If you're new here today, my name is uh, Pastor Shane, and uh, I'm so glad you're here. Let's see if I can get slides up here relatively easily, and we will move forward. And as we're trying to get our slides up and running, uh, I got a story for you to begin. Uh, I've shared with you guys a lot uh, about some of my younger days and how I uh, was not very smart, and I made some mistakes along the way. Um, One uh, one of those uh, times that I, I made a pretty drastic mistake was I finally gathered the courage to speak to the woman of my dreams in college. And the words I chose to use were probably not some of the smartest words I've ever decided to use. I'll never forget when I was in college, I had these classes with this girl named Becky. She was Becky Congress, Becky Rosti now, just, you know, spoilers. And I'll never forget, I noticed I had classes with her, and uh, we, we... had our class schedules, and I had it to where I knew that on during one of my class schedules that she would be walking down this hallway, or not this hallway, but this hill, and I would be walking up this hill, and if I did it at the right time, I could catch her, and we could, we could like, connect, you know? That was my hope. That was my dream. Um, and uh, so I timed it right. I finally built up the courage. I was going to talk to this beautiful woman, and uh, it was in the middle of winter, and I noticed she didn't have a jacket on, and so my first words out of my mouth that I wish I could retract and bring back in were, whoa, you're a beast. <laughs> I can't tell you in that moment how badly I wished I could retract that statement. But by God's grace, even though what I said was kind of dumb, God used it, and here we are. We've got four beautiful kids, and I married way out of my league. Well, guys, we have been going through this journey through scope, which is what do we do as the church? We know that we don't have, we don't create our own mission, amen? What's our mission? Jesus gave us our mission, right? To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that he commanded. But there are a lot of different ways that we can do that. And we've been talking about this summer. Number one, we've been talking about scope. So number one for scope, S stands for scripture. Everybody say that with me, scripture. Right? We want to be a church about the book. We want to be a church about the book. Next we have C for community. And we went through an incredible time where we discovered what God's will is for the church, the one another's, that we would love one another. <laughs> Sorry, guys, about the slides. We'll get there. And so we want to be a church that loves one another because that's how the world will know who we serve, by how we love. Everybody say it with me one another when we become a community. And we talked about outreach, how we need to be a church that doesn't just fold in on itself and and look inward, but we, God calls us to move out and to benefit our community by his name's sake. And so that means rolling up our sleeves and doing some of the hard work of meeting the needs in our community. 
And then we talked about praise, and that was a beautiful time, wasn't it? We didn't just talk about the Word of God, but we practiced it together twice. We did praise through singing. We want to be a singing church, amen? Because it benefits our heart, it benefits our soul, and it's a mandate of Scripture that we would sing spiritual songs and hymns to one another. And then lastly, today we are going to end with one of the more and most crucial things that we do as God's people, and that's evangelize. Evangelize, which means we share the gospel and we do it boldly. Even if we're imperfect, even if our words don't live up to the message that we're carrying, we want to do everything within our power to share God's word. Now, we talked about when I first got here, if you remember, we went through this series called What's My Style? And we discovered that in Scripture, every single person in here is uniquely gifted for sharing the gospel in a way that only they could. So if you're here, everybody take a drop, drop a deep breath. You all, each one of you are uniquely gifted to share, a gospel, share the gospel in a way that only you could and only in the context that you could. And we learned there were multiple different evangelism styles. We learned that there was an intellectual style of Paul. And we learned that there was a testimonial style, the blind man who could see, and he ran around saying, man, all I know is I couldn't see, and now I can see, and Jesus was the difference. And so that's the testimonial style. And we saw some of that last week. And then we have the confrontational style of Peter, and we're going to see more of that today. But Peter, man, he stands up and he says, you crucified the Messiah. That's pretty confrontational, right? And so Peter was the confrontational style. And then we saw the service style of Dorcas, which is still a really fun name to say. And then we looked at Matthew's interpersonal style where he wanted to invite all of his closest and best friends to a party so they could see Jesus and that was Matthew's interpersonal style. Well, today we're going to look at a passage having to do with evangelism. This is the early church, and evangelism is beginning to happen. They're beginning to share the good news. And I want to, I want to hone in on this passage, Acts 4.12, if you got your Bibles. It says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I was sitting in a meeting one time with a group of pretty seasoned Christians, and I used a term. I said, guys, we need to understand the urgency of the gospel, the urgency of the gospel, that, that it is life and death, it is eternity. It matters so much that we share the good news because it is the only thing that can make a difference in the eternity of the people around us. And there is a desperation, there's an urgency, and I remember a guy looking at me like, well, why is it urgent? For us to ask that makes me think that we misunderstand the core of the gospel, that there is no more important news, there's no more important information for us to share today than that. Everything else takes a back seat to the urgency and the importance of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, because there are people who will live this life, and there's this sense that if they don't hear the gospel, then there's an urgency for us, because salvation for them comes through hearing 
And the Bible tells us, how will they hear if no one is sent? If no one's sent and opens up their mouth, how will they be saved? What are we talking about being saved from? We hear Christians talk about this all the time. What are we saved from? My kids, usually when I ask this, they say sin. Well, yeah, that's true. We've committed sin, but what is it that we're being saved from? The wrath of God that is justly due for sin. And so what people need saved from is the wrath of God because they're not good with God. And so there's a sense that we have this urgent message that you are not good with God. So many people today think that they're good with God and they're not. And they'll live their whole lives and someday they will stand before him and they'll say, hey, I'm a pretty good person. And what's God going to turn around and, and say, what did you do with my son? Because good works cannot outdo our evil and our bad works. It has to be by faith, through, by grace, through faith in Jesus alone. And so the message that we carry is one of salvation, one of urgency, one that should lead us to desperation for others to hear. This message is urgent. It made me think of, you guys remember, uh, maybe in your history books, there was this thing called the Pony Express. You guys ever heard of the Pony Express? Where it was like, there was this two-year time frame to get a message from one point of the country to the other point of the country. A guy would have to jump on his horse and he would have to ride as hard as he could until he couldn't ride anymore and somebody else would take the message until they just ran straight to where this message was supposed to go. And many men died carrying this message. Now I got a question for you. Because today communication is so cheap, isn't it? How many of you can pull your phone out and just text somebody? So what does that do to our communication? It cheapens our communication, doesn't it? Because I'll tell you, nobody handed somebody on the Pony Express a letter that said, what's up, bro? I guarantee that didn't happen because these men were going to put their lives on the line. And so there's this sense, we carry a message today of urgency, and we like to treat it like we treat all communication today. But this is a different type of message this is a message that is of utmost importance. Now we have instant information. We have 24-hour news. Communication is cheap. You would never send a silly joke on the Pony Express because it was far too valuable. And then you come to a passage in Scripture that says, How blessed are the feet of those who carry the good news. The good news. We're going to read on in, in uh, verse 23. But I wanted to get the urgency of the gospel. We need to understand its urgency, how important it is. And as we do, to set up this passage where the new church is praying for new boldness to continue to share the gospel, we need to understand that Peter and John have come before a council. How many of you have ever had to sit before people who are not happy with you? Anybody have like a performance review? Have you ever had to sit at a, at a conference where you know they're going to chew you out? I'll never forget when I was a case manager, I had to, to go and sit in, or sit in a courtroom, and I'll never forget this judge was just not happy with the facility that I worked with, and she chewed me out. That was one of the worst experiences. Have you ever been chewed out by a judge? <laughs> it's, it's not a fun experience. And so she was, she was chewing me out. And I think about this. Peter and John are standing before the highest spiritual people in the day. 
the religious leaders of multiple different people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all these leaders, and they're standing before, and they're telling Peter and John to stop doing what they're doing. And you know what they're doing? They're talking about Jesus and doing things in Jesus' name. And so at this meeting, uh, they, they leave this meeting because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they begin to threaten them, but then they realize that there's nothing they can do, that their threats are harmless towards Peter and John because of the response to the gospel. And here's where we pick up Acts 4.23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, so here is a prayer in response to persecution, in response to a world saying, we don't want your good news. This is what they pray. Do we live in a world today that says they don't want the news about Jesus Christ? What do you think? Is the world super stoked to get it? Yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it, but this is the prayer response of the early church. It says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed and against his anointed. Are you a believer here today? Are you a believer here today? As you know that by Jesus and by your salvation, you're anointed to carry the gospel to the world and to a world that's not going to like it and just open themselves up to it. For truly in the city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. We've talked about how evil of a guy Herod was before. Along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, and here's, here's the beautiful part to the prayer that I want us to focus on this morning. Lord... Let this be the cry of our hearts, the prayer for our church this morning. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken was shaken. I want you to just picture it in your mind. They're praying for boldness. They're, they're getting persecuted. They're having people threaten them for sharing the gospel, and they're getting together, and they pray, and the place is what? Shaken, shaken, and they were all, and by the way, I look this always up in the Greek, all means all. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, with boldness. So let's unpack this passage, but I just feel the need to pray. Lord Jesus, would you set us free? God, don't, we don't want to carry a message just because we're guilted into sharing a message, but God, I pray that this morning you would set us free to understand the depth of your gospel, and Lord, that you would give us a boldness to share your gospel in our world today. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So this is a prayer of evangelism for the early church. I want you to consider the three different aspects of that prayer. It says, first, Lord, when they prayed, they said, Lord, consider their threats. 
How many of you have ever felt afraid to share your faith? You ever felt afraid to share your faith? What are some things that cause you to be afraid? What are some things that cause you to be afraid? You can shout them out. I, see, I hear fear already. What's that? Inadequacy. You don't feel adequate enough, like you have enough knowledge. Okay, what else? What's that? What will they think? Will they think? I'm terrified about how they'll respond. What if they count, what do they call a council? What if I have to pay a cost for the message that I'm sharing? So let's consider their threats. Let's consider their, their threats. So the big thing, if you look in the previous passage, when John and Peter were praying, or were, uh, were at this council, they were responding to this council, they were saying, we cannot stop doing these things, and we cannot, we are unable to stop preaching the gospel in the name of Jesus. Now I want to ask, does it seem like everybody's pretty much okay if we do good deeds? But yeah, that's a no-brainer, right? We love people who do good things, but as soon as you mention what? Jesus... There's a connotation there, isn't there? Like, you got to leave your Jesus. We, we just want your good stuff. We don't want that Jesus aspect of it. But I want you to see here, so considering their threats, they're, by the way, they're all good with us just doing good things, sure. You want to speak, uh, Pastor, you just want to spend Sundays speaking about how we can live better lives and be good people? Isn't that kind of the reputation the church has? I've been told that's my job. Somebody pulled me aside and said, it's your job to show me how to live a better life, Shane. To tell me how to be a good person. Well, sure, the world wants me to speak on a good life. In fact, the world even invites you over and over, by the way, to have an opinion about everything, especially politics, doesn't it? You know why the world invites you to speak on politics? Because it ruins what else you can speak on. When you begin to have strong opinions about things that are not gospelly important, that's when you lose your trust to be able to speak on other things. So the world says, yeah, sure, speak on politics. You can do that. Just don't speak on Jesus. This is the Pharisees were telling them. You can give us all this great stuff. Just don't talk about Jesus. Speak on politics. It, the world's kind of like, well, here's the noose to hang yourself with. Go ahead. Speak as much as you want about politics. How about the exclusivity of Christ? We just read it, that there is no other name under heaven which we can be saved. And I want you to think about this idea that the exclusivity of Jesus Christ alone. Be like, yeah, I, I love the idea of different churches and we love this relativism thing. You do you. You ever heard that? You do you. Everybody can believe what they want. It's called relative truth. But there is no relative, relative truth in the statement that John and Peter just made, they said there's no other way. Jesus himself said there's no other way for people to be saved but to call on the name of Jesus Christ and take upon themselves his salvation, his forgiveness for sins. There's no other way. I'll never forget, I was a preacher at, a camp, at camp Bethel one time, and I'll tell you, the exclusivity of Christ, the message that we carry, that he is the only way. I began to preach that there are no other gods, and that Jesus is the only way. And I'll never forget, this is the first time it's happened, it's the only time it happened, where I had somebody stand up and start screaming, yelling at me. And this was a student. This was a young girl. And I was challenging by saying that Jesus is the only way. What was I challenging? The worldview that our world loves. Everybody's right. Nobody's wrong. And here Jesus said, he's the only way. And so I stood up and said, Jesus is the only way. And she could not handle it. Because that is the predominant teaching. The world, their threats, 
are going to increase as we begin to speak on the right things instead of getting bogged down in things that are of lower tier importance. Truth statements of the gospel betray the illusion that everyone is correct. <clears throat> Have you ever had someone, uh, someone out you when you were hiding in a game of, out, of hide and seek? You ever had somebody kind of point you out? Or like show you, I play this with my kids all the time and my kids out each other out. They're like, dad, he's over there. See, the thing is when we share the gospel, people know that they're not right with God. Romans tells us that there's a part, all people know that there's something wrong. It doesn't take very long to look around this world and know something has gone horribly wrong. The evils that occur today ought not happen. Something has gone wrong and Jesus is seeking to make it right. But when you begin to share the gospel, it's like somebody's pointing you out. You ever been pointed out and you're like, mm. that's why the gospel is not well received. So when we consider their threats and what we speak on, they didn't want them to speak on Jesus and they're threatening, stop this, speaking in the name of Jesus. So many of us, I think, are afraid that we would be rejected if we share the gospel. Anybody afraid of rejection? By the way, if your rejection means somebody's salvation, then is it worth it? How many of you rejected something somebody told you to their face, but you turned around and you reconsidered it later? Anybody do that? Right? But yet Christians were terrified to make somebody mad in the moment if we share the exclusivity of the gospel that could save them because we're worried about how they feel about us. What if, church, we were less worried about them rejecting us and more worried about how they received Christ, more worried about their relationship with Jesus, I'll tell you, I needed somebody to call me out. And so rejection, if we're so worried about rejection, they may keep us from sharing the gospel. That's a legitimate threat. I think many of us are uncomfortable with the idea of being rejected for the gospel or for Jesus. How many, when you think in, a, in your place of work, I used to work at a place called NSI, and I, uh, it was a juvenile prep school, and I'd lay my Bible out on the table, and I would have my Bible out there all the time. And you know what they started to call me? The preacher guy. That became my reputation. And it was, I'll tell you, it wasn't a positive context. The people that I, I worked with, they were not stoked about it. And so it was kind of a way to make fun of me. We're worried that we would be rejected. Have you ever been corrected and rejected? But later upon thinking about it, you've adjusted. What if we were people that remembered the people do that? What if they know more than me? This speaks to, I think, the first thing, do I know enough? Am I educated enough? I want you to look further up in that passage in Acts, and I want you to, to look at it note in verse 13. John and Peter <clears throat> were uneducated and untrained men. They were fishers. And so the Pharisees at the time, they looked at them, they were like, these are uneducated men. How are they speaking like this? Why are they speaking so boldly? <clears throat> They were uneducated and untrained men, but yet they were still boldly speaking the gospel. You may not know the ins and outs. All of us, I, as your pastor, I can't say that I fully grasp the, and completely understand the gospel of Christ because it has such incredible depths. It's so simple, a child can understand it and receive it, but it's so deep that you can spend the rest of your life exploring the depths of what it means for you and still never run out of newness in the gospel. <clears throat> so they were uneducated and untrained men. Well, at what point are you educated enough or you feel at some point you have to step into boldness? And so let's consider then that we would be rejected. They may make you pay. 
Sharing with strangers. How many of you have ever felt like this? Sharing with strangers is easy. But Shane, you don't understand that family member who hasn't heard the gospel or doesn't believe the gospel. You don't understand. If I say it the wrong way, they're going to hate me forever. What if they hate you forever and believe in Jesus Christ? Would that still be okay? What if it took many, many years? I think it's worth the cost. I think it's worth the cost for us to share the gospel, even with those closest to us. And by the way, when we get on those family gatherings, how much easier is it is to sit down and talk about politics and get each other mad or your football teams? But what if we were willing to sit down and have intense conversations about the gospel and what Jesus has accomplished through, us on, uh, through, through the cross for us? How many of you are thinking through this place of work? Shane, you can't possibly say that the Bible expects me to share the gospel at my place of work with my coworkers because what would happen if they didn't like me because I shared the gospel? Anybody ever had that thought? It's worth the cost. I always think about this because I laid my Bible out on, uh, at NSI. Uh, the boss of the entire place, he was a kind of a rough, gruff guy. And he came into my office and he kind of threw himself in. He put himself down on my couch. I remember his name was Kurt. He was one of the most intimidating human beings besides Becky's dad in my life. And he sits down on the couch and he goes, okay, Shane, tell me about this Jesus guy. And I'm like, you're my boss. If I say the wrong thing here, am I going to lose my job? It's like, okay, Shane, and this is the one few, one of the very rare times that it was the History Channel, which is awful, by the way. He had watched this thing on History Channel. It was totally bogus, but it got him thinking about Jesus. So he comes into my office, and I get to spend the next three hours sharing the gospel with him. And I'll tell you, there's no part of the gospel that you want to leave out. And so that includes separation through sin. So I had to sit down with my boss, and I had to say, Look, you're a sinner. You're separated from God. You are not a good person. And so if God was going to be perfectly just with you right now, he would obliterate you from the earth. But instead of doing that, he sent his son on your behalf to die and pay the price for that sin. And then he gives you his righteousness and his relationship with God. And he restores you by faith and by faith alone. Well, then I just kind of sat there. I was like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm waiting for that write-up. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about? Write up. Those are the worst two, uh, two words put together, a write up. What was that going to cost me? Uh, I think maybe I've shared with some of you, we, uh, Becky and I, when we were really just getting into our fervor about the gospel, we shared the gospel with my family at a Christmas party. And that's how we got uninvited to family Christmas. Are there costs? Yeah. You know what, I still lament. My family used to get these huge Christmases together for my, at my grandmother's house. They don't happen anymore. You know why? Because there's a whole side of the family that was mad that we shared the gospel. But you know what? I rejoice. Because you know what? Their kids heard the gospel for the first time at that Christmas. And I bear all kinds of hope that that gospel will bear fruit in their life someday. Why was that cousin so willing to share a gospel if he knew it was going to make everybody mad? It's worth the cost. So will it make you pay? Yeah, you may have to pay. And the disciples know all too well that sharing the gospel at this rate eventually was going to make them pay a cost, yes? But if we're not willing to pay a cost for the message that we bear, does it mean anything? If it's not important for us to share, then does it have any value even to us? 
And so I think we, and this is where the Bible would encourage us, rejoice when we have to pay a cost for sharing the gospel because it tells the world, this is the most important thing to me. You can take my salary, you can take my life, but the gospel stands as the most important part of my life. Now hopefully we don't all have to pay that cost all the time, but the disciples certainly did and they counted it all joy to suffer trials because they shared the gospel. And then, as you see, John, when they come before the Pharisees, and at the end of the day, the effectiveness of the gospel overturned what the, what the Pharisees and the Sadducees could do to threaten Peter and John, and therefore their threats were powerless. Can I just say that probably 80, 90% of the threats that happen today are completely invalid and powerless? Can I give you that freedom? People are going to threaten you, but there's nothing that you're actually going to do. Uh, you see that on the internet. There's this thing called the internet troll. Anybody heard? Some of you may be that person. I don't know. I'm going to pray God convict you. But the internet troll where you, you can threaten people on the internet and you can get on Facebook and you can type up these mean messages because you think you have all kinds of power. But that's just not the truth. Because we, when we carry the gospel, have an authority that goes with us. Remember, it says all authority, this is the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me who... Who is that authority? Jesus. Because at the end of the Great Commission, it says, Lo, I will be with you always to the age. And so there is no threat that can overpower the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so let's consider their threats. As they pray, the early church prays, consider their threats, Lord. And we trust that your authority will deliver us. And it will be present with us. And it will help us pay the cost for the gospel. And it will help us endure the sufferings that we have to suffer if we preach the gospel to a place where people come against us like they were the disciples. And then they said, grant us to speak. Grant us to speak. And I think about Peter and John's response to the, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They said that they were literally unable to stop speaking. They were like, you can't shut us up because we can't shut us up. Anybody have a tough time being quiet when you know you need to be quiet? Where's my extroverts in here? But there's this sense that when you understand the gospel, it's like you can't stop talking about it. Any ever, ever been obsessed about something in your life? You just can't stop talking about it? I'll never forget I had, in high school, I had a girlfriend, and uh, I went on this mission trip to Ecuador, and I encountered God in an incredible way, and I couldn't stop talking about it. I came back, and I was like, man, you won't believe what God did. You won't believe that God, like, the Bible is just, like, awe-inspiring. You can't, and she said, Shane, I'm going to dump you, because this is ridiculous, and I'm getting bored of you talking about Jesus all the time. Yes! That's why I needed to meet Becky, Right? you imagine what kind of badge is that? <laughs> like, like, I got dumped because I talked about Jesus too much. That's awesome. What if we had that kind of attitude? Grant us to speak. They were literally unable to stop speaking about the Lord Jesus. Grant us to speak. And by the way, it says his message. You guys remember Star Wars uh, where, and maybe this is a, a poor illustration, but there was like the big Death Star and there's this little trench. Skywalker's going down the trench. And you hear, you hear people saying, stay on target, stay on target, stay on target. I think Christians could stand to hear that message. What if we stay on target? What if we stayed on the target of the gospel and his message instead of trying to express our opinions? Instead of trying to express our way of doing life, what if we were all about Jesus' way of doing life? So when we pray, grant us 
Grant us to speak your message, Lord, in complete boldness. We need to understand the term boldness there. It doesn't just mean being arrogant, but it means the sense that you would be set free, set free to speak the truth. How many of you have ever been around somebody who says they want to, you to be truthful, but you know in reality they don't want you to be truthful? You ever been around in those conversations? And how many of you are like, I just don't want to fight the fight. <laughs> I'm not going to be truthful here. So you kind of bind yourself in a way. You kind of imprison yourself from speaking what you know would be true, but you're afraid to say it. Ever been there? That word boldness literally means just set free to speak what we know is going to be offensive. Set free literally means set free as a citizen that you could stand before the court and speak the truth. And by the way, if we're speaking his message, we can speak it boldly, amen? So there is no more education needed if we're reading the scriptures and we understand that Jesus paid the price for our sin, everything that has to do with salvation, can we articulate that? And can we do that with boldness? Not like, well, this might be true for you. You ever tried to present the gospel like that? Like, well, you do you, but I'm going to kind of... No, we can present it boldly. We have the freedom to speak truth because it is the reality of all creation. Um, and the reason we want to stay on message is, have you ever been around somebody who has an opinion about everything? Anybody ever been around somebody like that? You guys aren't giving me much today. It must be that school's coming this week. You guys awake? This is yes, okay? This is no, Shane. This is I'm sleeping. If you have an opinion about everything, then your opinion about anything becomes worthless, doesn't it? If you have an opinion about everything, if you're voicing your opinion about all these different things and then you just kind of throw Jesus in there, what if that is what we spoke? What if that was the resounding thing that we were known for at work, at school? What if we were people obsessed with Jesus? Maybe they would insult us by calling us little Christs, like in Antioch when they first started insulting Christians. And boldness leads to boldness. You need to see here, well, actually, before I do, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, um, talks about this kind of freedom to speak the truth of God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Paul says, let us, well, author of Hebrews, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking at Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and, see, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So there's this idea that we need to lay aside every weight that keeps us from the joy of the gospel. Is there a weight that is keeping you from liberally sharing, I'm going to steal that word back because it's a good word, liberally sharing the gospel. Is there a, a weight that's keeping you from that? Is there bondage that's holding you? See, the idea here for them, their prayer was that they would be set free. They would lay aside every weight. There would be no more fear. When we walk in faith and share, even if it's hard, what does it do? It inspires others. So Peter and John are bold, right? They stand before the, the Sanhedrin and they're threatened and they come away and they walk away from it. And what does this do to the rest of the church as they pray this prayer? They pray for boldness and it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, it's not just the apostles. It wasn't, and today, it's not just the pastor's job. 
It's not just the elder's job, but the idea for us as a church is that all of us would be filled with the Holy Spirit through the gospel in such a way that we would speak the gospel boldly. Because boldness leads to boldness. I always, uh, I took about 20 youth one time to Cherry Creek Mall in Denver. 20 youth, little awkward junior high kids. I love them. If you're a junior high kid, I love you. But the goal at the Cherry Creek Mall was that every single of the 20 would have or start a faith conversation before we left the mall that day. Should I do that with this church? Like, hey, you guys all jump in my car. Let's go to Cherry Creek Mall. And before we leave, every single one of you will have a gospel conversation. How many of you would be at that door as quickly as you possibly could to run away? But I got to tell you, at the end of that day, brothers and sisters, as they began to share the gospel and have some response, and people didn't just throw their shoe at them, there were a couple who did, but that there was some response and some interest in the gospel of Christ, we walked away, every single 20, every single one of the 20 had shared the gospel that day in the Cherry Creek Mall. And you know what? They came to me resounding, like they were bubbling over. They were like, Shane, you didn't tell me that it was this easy. You didn't tell me that it was this fun. And I'm like, guys, I've been telling you that for six months. They were like, this is amazing. We want to do this back at home. I was like, sweet. Let's do that. There's this idea that when we begin to share the gospel, some of you have a testimony where you're sharing the gospel and somebody responds. I I know many of you are doing that. It begins to produce in us boldness leads to boldness and inspires us to look to God and see what he's going to do. Because by the way, if we walk in the authority of God, I've told you this before, when you walk into a room, it says that the Holy Spirit's indwelling you. So when you walk into the room, who do you bring with you? God himself is with you. What more power do you need? What more authority do you need? What more education that you do you need? If you've got God with you and you walk into that room, you are walking in his authority. Then you just got to get to sit back. And even if you say something dumb, like I am so often guilty of, somehow God manages to take that and use that to his glory. Isn't that awesome? You really can't fail because God can plan around your inadequacies. Isn't that cool? What more would set us free? By the way, that's the only way I could decide and and say yes to coming and being your pastor was like, oh God, you're going to have to overcome my inadequacies. Many of you are starting to get acquainted with those, right? Oh God, you're going to have to outdo um, what I bring to the table. So we serve a God who can outdo our inadequacies. And the last part of their prayer was this, that he would amaze What was he going to do? He was going to stretch out his hand, verse 30, for healing signs and wonders to be performed. When we walk in his power, we carry the gospel. We are following what we call the Lion of Judah. Can you imagine walking behind a lion into a room? You should imagine doing that when you walk into the next room that you do at your work or at school. Kids, do this at school. Like, just imagine the Lion of Judah going before you. How many of you find that you have these like low valleys in your walk with God and you're bored? You're bored with scripture reading and you're, you're bored and you just, you got more information, but it's like more information that you know what to do with. You know about the telescoping view of revelation by, by memory. It's like you've got all of this information, but you don't know what to do with it and you're bored and you've been in Bible studies year after year. The call then is that, and is part of this prayer, that we encounter a special part to God, a deliverance of God when we go out in faith and share the gospel. 
because he meets his people uniquely when they are sharing the gospel boldly. We can see the power of God in our lives in ways that we wouldn't if we didn't take risks. Do we trust God to catch us when we take risks? Do we, church? Do we trust God to catch us when we take risks? And is living and preaching the gospel going to be risky? Yes. Yes, it is. And we live in a world, I could show you several examples, that has no problem being bold. Would you agree? We have more shows of people who profess boldly, we know truth, uh, and when they profess it, it's, it's lies. They can get on TV shows and they can profess lies. They can get on news shows and they can profess lies boldly, can't they? Why couldn't we, who hold the truth from God himself, not walk out boldly and be set free to share that truth? So God's going to stretch out his hand as we stretch out in boldness. And so here, would you just maybe bow your heads, close your eyes, would you pray with me? Would you join me in praying for our church? Would you join me in praying this, for God to consider the threats that we face? And do we face threats? Yeah, we do. Would you pray that with me? Lord Jesus, would you consider the threats that we face? Would you show us the threats that stand before us? And would you either eliminate those threats or show them to be powerless? Or God, help us to pay the cost of the threats that come against us so that the world may see the value of your gospel. And so, Lord, I pray that in this church. God, would you grant us to speak your message as a church, not just as elders, as pastors, but your people to speak boldly your message of salvation through Jesus alone. God, would you grant us your authority and go with us. And lastly, Lord, we pray, we pray, we pray that you would stretch out your hand before us and that we could rejoice at seeing the wonders of what you will do when we go out and share the gospel. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that. I pray that all here would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that they would share your gospel boldly and with clarity. We pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, hey guys, um, would you stand and let's, let's have a moment. I want you to just maybe stand, bow your heads, close your eyes, and, and pray with the Lord. What is the one thing that he is calling you to boldness this week? You just spend a minute considering what is that one thing of boldness that God would have you step out, and then would you commit to walking in that boldness? Jesus, I pray for your church. Would you send us out in all boldness, God? Fill us with your spirit. Oh, God, but I pray that we would be a people who share your gospel freely with no fear, with no bonds. God, would you set your people free to share the freedom that can, that can really change lives. Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.